1: You're very welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Hope you had a lovely weekend. The weather was gorgeous and it's continuing for the rest of the week which is really really good news. Lots to chat about over the next couple of hours and don't forget we have this place that you got a name for us on Late Lunch. We'll be telling you where it is and asking you to pronounce it after two on the show. That's Monday's Misplaced pronunciation coming your way after two. Now I begin the show today uh, with a story I posted on LMFM's Facebook page last evening. So if you're at a computer now or you're on your phone, go into LMFM's Facebook page, scroll down a little, and you'll see two photographs that I posted a before and after. And where am I talking about? I'm talking about Rose Hall Reservoir on the north side of Drahada. And if you just look at those pictures now to get a picture of what's happened. A beautiful little place. I'm well familiar with it because I grew up on the North Road. It was my playground for years. It's killaneer Reservoir beyond it and Barnatton. There are three reservoirs in the Drahada system. Barnatton up in Tullyesker, killaneer at the bottom of esker and Rose Hall in near town. And the people who designed them were genius because it supplied the town with water exclusively for years and years. And they didn't need any power or anything. Gravity drove the water into the town. And at Rose Hall, there are filter beds there as well where the water was filtrated. But it was a lovely place to go for a little stroll, to sit down. But what's happened is just incredible. Trees, shrubbery, wildlife, habitats, everything raised to the ground. And we're going to talk about it for the next while. And if you want to join in the conversation, 086 is our WhatsApp or text number. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined in studio by Bobby McCormick, founder of Development Perspectives and a great environmentalist. Bobby, you're welcome to the show. Happy to be here, Jerry. You paid a visit yesterday to uh, Rose Hall.
2: Yeah, I did. I I went up to Rose Hall um, and what was visibly obvious was shocking. Um, I was very surprised by the extent of the damage that was done. And without knowing exactly the the rationale and the reasoning behind it, I, I just think the level of destruction was completely unwarranted.
1: You know, I understand what Irish... And let me tell you first, I, I didn't maybe context this. The reservoirs were once controlled by Drogheda Corporation, who no longer uh, ceased to be. Come under the remit then of Louth County Council and now uh, Isca Erin, or Irish Water, at the people who have uh, carried out what they call necessary works there on Rose Hall uh, Reservoir. <laughs>
2: It's it's shocking, frustrating, isn't it, to see what happened. It, it is, I'm not wrong in saying it was raised to the ground. Oh, completely. I mean, and for your listeners to get an idea visibly, you talked about the photographs. I took a video o- over the weekend of it and, and exactly like you described, raised to the ground is the only way of describing it. And it's not just a little bit. It's in, you know, multi-directions. I mean, maybe just to put this in a bigger context. I mean, we're in the midst of a biodiversity collapse. We've had a recent Citizens Assembly about that. We, we know through our media through our education systems what's happening in terms of climate change so you know our national stakeholders have a responsibility to act in line with legislation to do best practice this is simply not in line with best practice on any level and and i think it's it's really irresponsible on a number of levels for this activity to have taken place was it necessary to take all the trees you know
1: on the I know, and I'm going to read, I have two statements from Irish Water, which I've got, and I also have access, Bobby, to some correspondence that local residents received as well about this and the other two reservoirs. But when you look at before and after, and that before picture was taken a little while ago, but you can get a feel for how peaceful and tranquil and the habitat that it was. You know, it's dammed, right? It is a dam to, you know, include the water and safety and dam safety. I accept all Mm. that. But to look at the dam surely you look on you clear the outside of the dam and you get divers to go in the water on the water side of the dam
2: yeah, I mean, I again, I'm not an engineering expert, but I would say it's more at risk now than it was before the works. Um, the level of erosion that is now possible because of what was done with removing the trees, in particular, um, leaves I think the the kind of banks of it at more risk due to erosion, due to subsidence. I mean, that's a very basic engineering principle that, like, trees often act as the glue. So often, what can happen with flooding is that when you take away, you know, the roots of a system, that can be Flooding as a result. But to go back one a little bit, when when Ishka Erin and, and I've seen correspondence between them and local TDs that they, they indicated that they were going to remove grass, debris and vegetation, there wasn't really indication that they're going to get a chainsaw to trees. So so I think that like the level of, of what was expected and, and in fairness, you know, they, they did indicate that there was the reasoning or the rationale behind it was to, to um allow for a dam survey. I think, you know, your listeners would probably be surprised to think that you would need to go to that extent to conduct a damn survey. I don't think on any level that that was necessary to conduct any type of engineering survey. And it should be said as well that they declared themselves that this was done in conjunction with Loud County Council and that the consultants or the contractors that were doing the work did it under their direction. I I haven't seen any reference to an environmental impact assessment in advance of the works. Um, I put in an email into Ishka Aaron to request that environmental impact assessment. There's been no forthcoming mention of it. I know local TDs have been working hard in trying to identify was there such an assessment? I know that Biodiversity Ireland did a survey last summer identifying the extent of the biodiversity that was in that area and it was huge. That's no longer there. There are serious questions that our Ishka Aaron and Loud County Council need to answer for.
1: There certainly are. I have uh, been... Privy to correspondence that went between local residents and, and uh, the parties involved. And just ne- an extract from an Ishka Aaron message, It's only an extract that they got. Works, as you say, a vegetation clearance only as requested by Ishka Aaron to carry out dam safety surveys. Works are being undertaken by a contractor under direction of Ishka Aaron uh, and they involve cutting of briars, grass and small trees and removal from the slopes. Mm. Um, there is currently no levelling, new pipes, new treatment plant or new entrance planned for the place. Ishka Aaron indicate that no consultation with residents is required
2: for this type of work on a water acid. Mm. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, again, going back to the broader context, there is the Our House Convention, which Ireland is a signatory to, from a legal point of view, around the level of participation that is required of agencies with local communities. Um, I think that this, you know, could fall under that convention. Um, but of course, maybe Ishka Aaron take a different view on that. And, and TDs, as I said, have been looking into it. But again, even that statement has no mention of biodiversity, no mention of the climate crisis and no mention of an environmental impact assessment. It's it's almost as if this is a completely different, like a, a blind spot to them collectively, which I would worry about for lots of reasons. Um, in, in another statement, and this is a full statement, in relation to Killinear and Barnatown. And you went to
1: Killinear, I know, yesterday. Barnatown is the very upper one, top of Tullyesker, Killineer at the bottom. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, again, it went to local residents. But it contradicts the previous statement, where they say Ishka Aran indicates that no consultation with residents is required. But in this one, in relation to Barnatown and Killinear, and it's dated the 8th of February this year, and I highlighted any further works associated uh, to the reservoir will be communicated to the public by Irish Water. Loud County Council. Mm. Now you know the, I I see a, a, a sort of a contradiction in there. But in fairness to Ishka Aaron, they've they've issued two statements to us ahead of this conversation today, and I, they're not that long. So maybe you just listen to what they have to say. And I thank Linda McKenney for getting them into us from Ishka Aaron. It says. Ishka Aran, working in partnership with Loud County Council, is currently undertaking preparation works to carry out a detailed survey at Rosehall Reservoir. Ishka Aran ec- experts carry out regular dam inspections and surveys across the country to assess what level of maintenance and repairs are required. Continued continued inspection and maintenance of our large raised reservoirs within the public water supply network is essential to ensure they are safe for the local community. At Rosehall Reservoir, it was necessary for the structure's embankment to be fully cleared of debris and vegetation to ensure the integrity and safety of the structure and facilitate the necessary inspection. A full and detailed dam safety inspection will now take place to establish if further maintenance and if any safety works are required to the structure. Any further maintenance works associated with the reservoir will be communicated to the local community by Ishka Erin and Louth County Council. Ishka Erin would like to thank the local community as we carry out this important survey. Mm. Now, they say it was absolutely necessary to skin absolutely every tree and twig and bush from Mm. that embankment. What do you say to that?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a competition of responsibilities in relation to this. I mean, they don't again reference the fact that they too have responsibilities around habitats, they too have responsibility around biodiversity, they too have responsibility around the climate crisis. So it, it's not just about an engineering question and and I really do find it hard to believe that the level of works that was done was needed to conduct a survey. I think it would be the case of like levelling Drogheda to figure out whether or not there might be say dogs living in a basement apartments. I mean, it doesn't match up. What what was done in terms of behaviour is completely incongruent with the rationale that we've just heard. That, that being said, I, I would love to know about the extent of the environmental impact assessment that was should have been done in advance of the works, because notwithstanding the rationale around whether or not there's health and safety reasons to do it, there are, as I say, other obligations that need to be scrutinised. And, and I don't think there was any mention of the EII in advance of that. And we have offered uh, a representative of Ishka Aaron to come on here
1: today or any day this week if they want to, you know, talk to us
2: about what happened Mm. and and explain the rationale. I'd be only too delighted to speak to them, to be honest with you. And, and ideally, I mean, what we should see from Ishka-Erin and Loud County Council is best practice. And even if it's a thing that, say, for instance, they, they state that the environmental impact assessment was in this case not necessarily required. I think now authorities need to go beyond of what the minimum expectations are and model best practice. I mean, citizens all across the country are being encouraged to plant trees, recycle, you know, do what's best for the environment. And what we're seeing, on the other hand, is duty bearers uh, act in a way and role model be behaviours that are not in line with best practice. We've Ronan Moore joining us later from Trim. They're
1: planting thousands of trees in Trim and yet what has come along there naturally is now gone forever. A follow-up statement from uh, Ishke Aaron, again because they had nobody to join us today, says the essential maintenance works to Rosehall Reservoir did not require local land- landowner consent. Continued inspection and maintenance of our large raised reservoirs, they're repeating what they said in the earlier one, within the public water supply network is essential to ensure they are safe for the local community. The priority is it is in critical to ensure that the dams are safe by removing all vegetation and debris to ensure the integrity and safety of the structure and facilitate the necessary inspection and a full and detailed dam safety again it's just repeating nearly word for word what was in the earlier statement
2: Jerry, just to add something which I think is a complete kind of incongruence. If Ishk Aaron are so interested in health and safety, then maybe they could look after the water quality of the River Boyne. I mean, we know the River Boyne is one of nine of the worst polluted rivers in the country. If Ishk Aaron are as interested as they seem to believe in environmental standards and health and safety, well, then maybe check the wastewater treatment plants in terms of what they're you know putting out into rivers right across the country. I, I just find that there's an incongruence between what the entities are set up to do and their behaviour. And absolutely, as you've mentioned, that these are their statements and we need to take them at face value. But but I think there are serious questions to be asked. And no doubt, as I said earlier on, our TDs are doing the best that they can to figure out why this happened and why did it happen in the way that it did. And And I really think a bland press release or, you know, statement is not good enough. Um, we have asked, you know, have they plans to, you know, plant
1: trees again in the future or do anything. But you know what strikes me, Bobby, when the horse is bolted. It's too late. It's just absolutely gone. And I mean, years and years of growth and development and wildness and everything, you can never bring that back.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and this is part of a worrying trend. I mean, if this was an isolated incident, then you might be able to say, well, we'll do it better in the future. I mean, we've got a rust bucket in the River Bine and the Hevel Sand. We've got the, the, the issue here on the reservoir in terms of what was raised. We've got plans to put wastewater into the Bine. Left, right and centre, we've got ways of treating the environment that is not in keeping with what the bigger picture is the bigger picture is humans need to cop on in terms of what's happening in the world around us we we rely on our environmental ecosystems to keep ourselves safe to keep ourselves healthy to keep ourselves thriving and and what we're seeing in the modeling of the behavior of many agencies is the complete opposite and listen just saying it would serve them better jerry to get
1: to Georgia street and sort out that bloody leak that's there for at least a week now irish water's responsibility nobody well i can tell you Today I have an update for you. There's men looking into a hole. So, you know, there's something happening. There's men looking into a hole in Georgia Street today. I'm encouraged. I have to say, like, on the reservoir issue as a whole, and I grew up on those reservoirs. I learned how to fish on those reservoirs. I love them deeply, I have to say. Yes, we are discussing environmental matters with Bobby McCormick today from development perspectives and, of course, a wonderful environmentalist. I go back to the point that I know these places well and they were built in the early 1900s. Bobby, they were a wonderful feat of engineering because Barnaton uh, up at the top of the Esker at the base, Killineer, and then Rose Hall of the filtration beds where the water came to be filtered and then on into town. It supplied the town at one stage. Now, not now with the size of it, but it wasn't even available. This is the other point. Those reservoirs are decommissioned. Now, I know there's still a safety issue. They're decommissioned and there was panic. Do you remember the, the burst at Celine a few yes, summers ago? Indeed. Can we get it up and running again? Wouldn't it be a decent plan to have a backup
2: that could help in the case of emergency? Or would that be too forward thinking? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we face lots of environmental pressures and a different sort of pressures around water. And so it makes eminent sense to have backups in in the eventuality of them being needed. But as mentioned earlier on, we've got serious issues on the water end of things as well when it comes to pollution. So we're facing multifaceted problems and but they're all going back to the root cause of how we treat and view the environment more generally. It's not the plaything of where we dispose of our waste. It shouldn't be just to facilitate private profit. It shouldn't be that we can just do whatever whenever we wish because to tidy it up it looks better so we just cut everything down. I mean those days I, I would have thought are over. But sadly, it seems they're not. And the other angle, and I
1: it's a real pun now, is the angling on those reservoirs that goes way back as well. Trout fishing on Barnat and Killineer. Course fishing in Rose Hall as well. So there's different types of fishing, mainly
2: game fishing on the other two. You went to Killineer yesterday. Look yeah. at it. It's a sad sight, isn't it? Yeah, again, I mean and it's it's a worrying trend. I mean, any one of these things in isolation, there may be a rationale, but when you take them as, as a joined up puzzle, you, you have to begin to question what's at the roots of it. You know, what what's what's driving this, what's causing it. Um, and I think there's too many occasions where, where people are taking decisions that really are, are not joining the dots. And and like you say, Killineer is another example of, of what's happening there is is really troubling. The only thing they didn't remove from Killinair were the the big Scots pine trees that are, you know, so so old. Don't be surprised to go down there someday and they're gone. No, I mean, I would give it another six months maybe, you know, because I think, and why would I say that? I mean, because of the trend of what's happening in other places. So, like, ideally you'd think that they won't disappear, but what would give us confidence to think that they won't? And the other thing is,
1: I say about the dam, they've dropped the levels. Killineer now, I've fished it all my life. It's a stew pond now. It's for kids. Bring them down, throw the fish in and let them catch them and take them out. It's not an angling challenge anymore. Neither is Barnatton, I have to say to you. Only when they're full to the gut are they what they should be. Mm-hmm. And Bobby, if there's defe- defects in the dam at Barnatton, in the dam at Killaneer as they find something at Rose Hall, here's my next question. With this whole question in mind, that that should be a backup... Wouldn't it be, make sense to repair them and fill them to the gut and let the water flow through them, which
2: it's not doing now? You know what I mean? Is that, yeah. is that just mad logic? Well, I think the problem with common sense is it's not common. I mean, we have a situation where we've got uh, potential to, to address a lot of the the problems that we see and we're not implementing practical solutions. Um, yeah, and, and I think that level of short-sightedness is what we see in Rose Hall and Killinear. It's It's a level of short-sightedness that reveals something more troubling. And, and whatever about, you know, removing briars or grass, but to devastate the, the area in the way that it was done, I think, again, just raises more problems than it does... Give solutions to anything.
1: I'd say, I have to say today, I would like to see Irish Water present the findings of all the surveys on the dams and a plan to repair any defects that are in the dams with a view to making that facility available again. Plenty of water in the event of something else happening. We saw it, I say it again only a couple of years ago in Celine what can happen? Uh, it, that's what really should happen now What all they've done it reveals it fix the leaks shore them up
2: make it safe and make it flow again but as well as that I think Jerry, though you know a chainsaw is not the implement of an engineer I mean if you're talking about dams and surveys I mean you know I've not seen many civil engineers go around with chainsaws do you know there was a brilliant documentary from the Philippines called Dalicado, and this environmentalist group used to go around taking chainsaws because they were the weapons of those that destruct so if we're serious about like you know the construction of the dams and the maintenance of the dams then absolutely get on with that but taking a chainsaw to the local environment doesn't help the dam in any way shape or form I would love to see the rationale from an engineering point of view that points to the need for chainsawing an area before any survey takes place What do you hope from this
1: point on? I mentioned, you know, we did, our Louise has uh, sent in a number of press queries and I thank Irish Water. They have come back to us promptly. They really have. And I've read their statements there from Linda McKenney. And perhaps there is a logic that we are missing here behind this. But let's see. I again invite somebody from Irish Water to come on here and explain the results of the surveys in the other reservoirs and the rationale behind what they did. What can be done? Planting a few trees here and there?
2: I mean, I think, you know, planting trees for sure is very beneficial and we all need to do more of that. But what we also need to do is to stop cutting them down and especially cutting them down in a way that isn't necessarily warranted. So to go back to the environmental impact assessment that really should have been required for this piece of work, and maybe it exists, but I would love to see it publicly. um, You know, we really need to take stock before we take action of why we're taking action and and really let that action be evidence-based. And if it's a case that there is a need to cut down trees because of uh, some engineering issue then so be it but do that in advance and and if that evidence isn't there then i do think that there are serious questions to be raised i, I do think that like w- when we come to st- local authorities, state entities they have to be role modeling best practice they can't be those that are most resistant to doing what's needed uh- that is so true when you, when you say that, you know, because if somebody went in in
1: a private capacity and took down a few trees, there's a big trouble over that. You can and I say that again to people, you can't just go out and cut a tree willy-nilly. That's been there hundreds of years. It's a serious, serious crime. Um, in a more general sense, and you know, in the northeast here, Way, uh, you know, on the borders of Mead into Dublin, down in Dundalk, in Drogheda, the development is apace. House building, apartment building, you name it. And with that, you know, there's no room for ditches or hedges or
2: hedgerows or wildlife, Bobby, as well. We need houses. But
1: what's the balance? How
2: do you balance this? Well, this is where the evidence base comes in. So many countries do it brilliantly. So many places have the balance right where the environment is not at the behest of a a planner who wants to build X number of houses. There is no doubt about it that we need houses. We need our education system, our health system. All of that though shouldn't be at the cost of the environment. We rely on a thriving environment for all of our basic needs and understanding that is key. So in order to get the foundation blocks right we have to cherish the environment work with it, not against it and it's not ours to use... for whatever purposes that we think short term might be beneficial, so, so again going back to many other countries to have far more dense populations, but they do their planning in a much more joined up manner and I do think when it comes to planning and regulation in Ireland our planners have not covered themselves in glory that we've planned in an unsustainable way we now have globally the UN Sustainable Development Goals which requires of countries to plan in a sustainable manner and and sadly Ireland is falling behind many other countries in the EU we're one of the worst in terms of, of how we do our planning and around sustainable development so, so I do think we could do things better in a more joined up way and the evidence is there and the ways are very clear about how to do that we're, we're just when it comes to the environment not doing it well well we're going to watch this space
1: because you yourself are following this as you said um you know that um that you know we're going to see and obviously you're in touch with politicians and Irish Water yourself let's see what emerges from this and I'll be very interested to see and I want to say listen obviously under the law and the regulations the contractor Irish Water haven't done anything illegal we take it you know what I mean and I willingly accept that but let's see let's see what emerges from this story over the coming days Bobby thank you so much for paying the visits yesterday and joining us today thank you what about the Wee County? Big, big win over Meath yesterday in the National Football League. The red and white flies high. The bragging rights are with County Loud for the foreseeable future. Oh, great win for Mickey Hart's team, I have to say. Um, the weekend started great because it was at Drogheda Shamrock Rovers. Oh, that Drogheda United team. They, they were tiny budget, but the heart they play with, I just love them. And Kevin Doherty has done a great job again with them this year. They're really fantastic. They really are. Could have won it in the end. Rovers down to nine. Arsenal win on Saturday, a big game at Leicester. Man United fans are happy yet, their first cup under Ten Hag. Ireland scraped by in Italy and the rugby to set it up nicely next week against Scotland. Ah, oh, where will we be without sport? 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. You can see those pictures, yes, of Rose Hall on our Facebook page, LMFM Facebook. If you scroll down a wee bit, you'll see the before and after there. Somebody says, Bobby McCormick for Taoiseach. <laughs> I love that one. This is horrific. Jerry, what kind of absolute stupidity fuels this behaviour? At a time when we are desperately trying to convey the message of biodiversity and a clean, healthy environment—clean air, land, and water—is at the forefront of future ecological sustainability. What an absolute disgrace! Another listener wants to know. Was a tree-felling licence required from the Forest Service? Interesting question indeed. Somebody sent me a link to the tree-felling and management on gov.ie. I must have a look at that as well, and there's more there besides. Thank you for your comments. Were you watching the Late Late Show on Friday night? Well, if you were, you will have seen my next guests perform, and the place went mad for them. Maybe they're only copping onto them in the big smoke. Down here, we know them well. Charles and Andrew Hendy from the boys themselves, the Mary Wallopers are on the line. Hello?
3: Hello. Doing, we have another one here as well. Sean McKenna is here too.
1: Oh God. Oh, Sean. Sean, I left you I feel bad about that. And Sean McKenna is with the lads too. <laughs> <laughs> well, fellas, the reaction has been almighty, hasn't it?
3: Well, I don't know if you could say that, Jerry. The audience, you know what, there's, the most of the people, the majority of the people, they went mad for it. They love us. The 99%, but I tell you, the 1% are very loud as well, Jerry. And you know what they were talking about? They were talking about Andrew's haircut and Shamath's haircut on the box.
1: <laughs> yeah, I see you're getting a bit of jip for the, for the old mullets. But
3: mullets... We're getting some jib, I tell you. <laughs> you know, it's not an easy job to get my hair the way it is. I them do, do the front of my hair and then cut and crew in the back of my hair. Right. You know, it's not. It's not the, It's not an easy thing
1: to get done. Yes. So you have two uh, barbers involved in shaping that mullet for you. Uh, well,
3: that's what that's what the ordinary person say, but in the industry it's called a team of
1: silence. Right. Are you on speaker there? Your sound as if you're in an echo chamber. Come on, there. You're not going to get your hair done at the minute, are you?
3: No. 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 He's in the recording studio.
1: Oh, is he? All right. Well, you're dead. You're you're so clear there. That's Charles, is it? That's Charles and me and Sean are here sitting beside. Ah, him. right, uh, yeah, yeah. The other place I, I see that he's he's once removed. Anyway, what the, the, the mullet has the mullet ever gone out? People look at it and think, oh, jeepers, It's the seventies, it's the eighties.
3: Well, some people look at it, Jerry and think, oh, I'd like a piece of that. <laughs> and also, you know, we're reviving Irish music. We the mullet
1: that. Yes. So th- the big story, as you say, they went mad for you in the audience. The country's going mad for you now. But the big story was the mullet. Um. Are you going to keep the mullets? Uh, this little bit of, you know, anxiety around mullets won't change the way you look?
3: We'll have to all get one. Huh?
1: Yeah,
3: the whole <laughs> band will get mullets. You see, we don't like him getting all the attention. <laughs> There's no such thing as bad publicity, so if we all have one, to be talking then, wouldn't it? Well, w- will you just pay two
1: barbers like himself or beautification places to look after all of you? Uh, I
3: actually had a granddaughter. off the Arts <laughs> <laughs>
1: so the Arts Council are paying for the mullets is that what you're telling me exclusively today
3: yeah, yeah. that's exclusive news
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway you know it's great to see you on national television and really uh, you know up there top of the pops what about the new album it's going well for you you're, you've been shortlisted I see in the uh, choice awards yeah
3: we're, they're going to give us a big load of money when we win it are they yeah, well, uh, that's if we win it. But I'd say we win
1: it. Ah, listen, you're in there with a shout like the best of them, to be honest with you, and I think you have something absolutely quite unique. Oh, God, I say it again to you. I remember you was at the before it in Peggy Moores, and the place packed out. Did you ever think you'd become international superstars?
3: Yeah, from the moment we walked out of our mother's womb... <laughs> oh what a confident
1: bunch they are as well and I don't blame them because they're fantastic if you've never seen them you got to see them what about touring wise where where are you headed the next while we're going to America
3: are you that's uh, it would be off the west coast of Ireland there past by <laughs>
1: so you're just going to go to America and go and just keep going when you go there so the States is your next port of call by God boys they'll love you there
3: Oh, they will. We'll get that American money, don't you worry. And we'll give it, we'll bring back loads of it to the northeast of Ireland. We're going to build an airport in RD. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, get on
1: to the newsroom, Louise. We've breaking news on late lunch. An airport in RD is on the <laughs> yeah. way. The merry wallopers. That's it.
4: <laughs> but it. it'll
1: be all for tax reasons. Oh. For the
3: duty free. <laughs>
1: Oh, my God, almighty. <laughs> I can just see it. I can see it happening. So if you make it big in America, RD is certainly going to be on what the map. What do you
3: mean if we make it big in
1: America? <laughs> when, sorry, when, when, when <laughs> you make it big. When, I beg your pardon, I beg your pardon. Why did I use that word? A Freudian slip there by yours, yours truly. Anyway, you're upwards and onwards and maybe someday from RD Airport. Yes. Yeah. Great stuff. Anyway, we're going to listen to you on the Late Late Show. Oh, no, before you go, before you go, don't... Are you ready, boys? I have a a test for you, okay? So listen carefully. I will say this only once. Uh, On late lunch each Monday, we give the name of a place in Lowthermeath, right? And we ask listeners to pronounce it. So listen carefully, boys. I'm going to spell it for the listeners and spell it for you. And I want the listeners to WhatsApp me in their pronunciation. Are you ready, guys? Yep. Here we go. You... G H T Y N E I L L Charles. Can you spell it again? <laughs> you blackguard. U <laughs> G H T Y N E I L L. Ochsi Oh, God, you're not bad. You're not Uchtimil. bad. Is that in loud? It's in County Mead.
3: Me here, <laughs> come on. That's a foreign country, is it? Is that
1: a foreign country to loud men? Well, it is, yeah.
3: Loud and proud. proud. The only reason we're building the airport in RD is so we won't have to go through
1: the (laughs) email. Oh, jeez, you know what? You're doing old heart good on a Monday afternoon, I have to say to you. That was a good go. Anyone out there, can you pronounce that for me? 086-1800-658-U-G-H-T-Y-N-E-I-L-L. Boys, I love you to bits. They when you make it. it in America Don't forget us here On little old LMFM Radio oh, we want we we'll we'll... back Talking about the airport Ah, absolutely And here you are Performing that wonderful song From Friday night Good luck To the merry wallopers Thanks boys We
3: had boys
1: Ah, brilliant, aren't they? The merry wallopers on late lunch this afternoon. I'm still laughing here. There are some boys. They're a bit of crack, aren't they? They're wonderful. We absolutely love them and the country got more of them, which is great to see on Friday night. Up next on the show, start of the show, destruction of trees, habitats, the environment. Well, there's a good news story to counterbalance happening in Trim. Now, we were chatting about uh, trees and the taking down of a lot of trees and vegetation top of the show, but good Good news now from Trim in County Mead. Thousands of trees to be planted. Ronan Moore joins me to tell us more. Hello Ronan.
5: Hi, how are you doing? Thanks for having us on.
1: Oh, not at all. I was delighted to see you guys doing this. Tell listeners what this is all about.
5: Okay, so the name of the project is called the Elder Project, which comes from the the Irish name of, of Trim Town at the Ford of the Elder Flowers. And it's inspired by a project over in Milan that was called the Forest Army Project that aims to plant uh, a tree for every member of the population in the city over the next number of years. Now, Milan, they have close to 3 million population. Thankfully, in Trim, it's a lot smaller than that. We're just over 10,000. The the census figures when they come out will probably show something just over 10,000. So our plan over the next number of years, Trim Tidy Towns, is to plant a tree or hedging for each member of the population Um, up to about 2030 that we're hoping to hit this uh, project uh, um, finished by but we've got off to a great start in fact I love
1: it and it's the elder project of course there is an elder tree as you know as well but what are you planning what types of trees are going in
5: so they're all native or near native species. So when we're looking at this, obviously there's a number of reasons why uh, we're looking to do so. Like obviously it's a great sign of hope when you're planting a tree, you're hoping it'll survive and it'll thrive and so on. But there's a lot of practical benefits. So obviously there's a climate element there in terms of helping us in terms of meeting our carbon targets. But also another very big important point is the biodiversity element. So in order to help do that, we're looking at native species, near native species. So you're looking at everything from hawthorn, whitehorn. Um, mountain ash, elder, elder, alder, birch, and so on. And also we're looking at fruit trees as well, so um, pear, apple, plum trees, and I think they're proven to to be particularly popular, um, especially amongst the states, because another element of this as well, while it's been driven by Trim Tidy Towns, um, and we we started, we we initially got a few planted last year, but we formally launched this year in the grounds of Prosper Mead here in Trim, but it's a real collaboration amongst many, many different groups particularly residents' associations. There's many housing estates across the town who are getting involved, who are looking to plant um, maybe some hedging along the, the border, the their areas, the green areas, or looking at some apple trees and so and so on. Um, so, yeah, like it's been really, I said, we've gone off to a great start. Right? We wouldn't be able to do it, I think, without the, the council's support, who have been wonderful in terms of helping out at the higher level and at the local level to help them plant some trees and hedging on their own lands and also we've had great support in terms of financially from the likes of Community Foundation of Ireland, who've been really, really great in in supporting us to to get it off the ground.
1: That's great to hear, and I commend them and congratulate them. And that was something I was going to ask you. The council will provide you with uh, sites for your trees. How else? You know what I mean? You know, it's a lot of trees to plant one for everybody in the audience in Trim. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned uh, housing estates and that. Have you enough scope? Have you enough ground?
5: Well, look. I guess there's two ways of looking at it. The first of all is that if we were if we were not ultimately to reach the 10,000, um, if we were to only plant say two or three thousand, that's two or three thousand trees more than we would have planted otherwise. Yes. That's the first way of looking at it. The second thing is you, you'd be surprised how how quickly you would, a small amount of land I guess would take trees. Um, it's kind of maybe looking at a group of people in a room and thinking that there's only a small amount of people there and actually there's a lot more. So for instance in Prosper, um, they've a, a bit of an area, the great uh, um, local organisation works for adults with intellectual disabilities here in Trim and they've this uh, space and behind their new premises on Emmett Street and we're probably looking at maybe six trees there but Close to maybe 150, 200 hedging. So you would be surprised how quickly you can you can find land in terms of the council. We've identified a number of number of spaces that are kind of council owned, but sometimes these are like um, margins. to make sure that we don't affect sight lines and there doesn't prove to be any uh, safety issues, which is really, really important. And also what's really important as well is that the selection of trees are, as I said, not only are they native and near native from the biodiversity, but they're appropriate to wherever they go in because I think one of the mistakes that was made particularly in the 60s and 70s when estates were being built sometimes trees were being put in on their own and they grew to huge heights and created issues later on so it's about picking the right tree for the right location Um, and as I said we've started I think we've already probably have close to a couple of thousand either identified or in the process of planting um, and as we we've, as we've progress, what we're finding is more and more states are getting in touch with us, more and more businesses, community groups, sporting groups, GA as well have been fantastic in terms of their level of support in getting in touch with us, saying, look, we have a little parcel of land, we don't know what we want to do with it. Um, there's a, we have a, a great volunteer, Thomas Novak, who's our biodiversity ambassador. He's a volunteer for us in the Trim Tidy Towns and he helps, he meets these groups um speaks to them and identifies what he thinks might be the best uh, in collaboration with themselves. Um a group there at the weekend in the Gallops and Housing Estate here in Trim, um they all got out in the in the in the estate um neighbours meeting and to plant a tree together, a fruit tree, they were planting fruit trees. There's nothing greater. Like it's a great sense of community to it. So it's a really real puzzle, real good feel good um story that um I think we can all be proud of and I, I, I certainly would suggest it in any other towns or villages because I think Trim might have been the first in the country to do it Um, as I said taking our our cues from from Milan, but it's one I think could be replicated in so many other places
1: Oh absolutely so your supplies of trees are obviously buoyant you can get the trees that you need Uh, there are people involved already what about anyone listening today in the Trim area who might want to volunteer do you need a volunteer to help with the planting and if they have some ground as I said how's the best way to get in touch with you?
3: Yeah, so absolutely.
5: So the, probably the best way to get in touch with us is through the Trim Tidy Towns Facebook page or alternatively, they can email us on trimtidytowns1 at gmail.com. So if people want to get in touch with ourselves, um, we might need some help at a later stage in terms of the uh, planting. In some of the residential estates, as I mentioned already, some of the um, the residents from the estate are coming out, kind of a, a, are organising a planting day that they can come out and plant the trees. But um, as we progress, there might be an opportunity where we might need some help Um, the council have been fantastic some of the uh, uh, Tony Conlon here in the the, the area foreman and his his group of of workers have been great taking it on but if people get in touch with ourselves either maybe they might like to volunteer and if we we need someone to help us we will give them a shout or alternatively again if they have a and some land or there's a part of the estate that, that the residents want to maybe consider. We'd really love to, for them to, to get in touch. and it, it's, it's going to go on for over a number of years, we'd imagine. Mm. And I guess what we're doing particularly is we're looking at the planting season, which runs up till probably looking at mid-March, and then we'll probably kick off again yes. in October because it's better tends to, The trees tend to be more robust. They also tend to be a bit better value in terms of the bare root. Um, trees so um, it is going to go on so please get in touch with ourselves we'd love, we'd love to hear from people and again in any other community across the county I really would recommend as, as an idea to, to possibly take up
1: I absolutely love it commend you all and the council and everybody involved it's a real worthy project and we look forward to see those trees going in and blooming in the years ahead what a fantastic thing and everyone in Trim will have their own tree thank you so much for joining me today Ronan
5: No problem. Thank you
1: so much. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's uh, Ronan Moore there uh, about the trees in Trim. The EU and the UK have agreed a new new deal, a new Brexit deal. It's agreed. It's breaking news just this moment now. It's come in there on the hot wires. Uh, More about it on our news at three o'clock. A deal has been reached. Will everyone buy in? Well, sure, <laughs> look at that. that's the fun and games we're going to enjoy this evening and beyond. Let's see what happens. Anyway, announcement that a deal has been agreed. You're at late lunch on LMFM Radio. Next up on the show, very shortly, we're talking all about soup. Electric Ireland, uh, you heard the announcement there in the news, uh, dropping their prices 10% for electricity, 15% down for gas for SMEs. What about Joe Soap, myself and everybody else listening today, surely it has to follow on soon with the prices decreasing at a macro level. Let's hope that applies to all of us sooner rather than later. It would be a huge, huge help. Well, I have to say... Kirsten Jensen, with her blaster book, Stable of Books, has produced another winner. We've spoken to her all through last year. She's only producing four of these a year, and they're on specific topics, and they're simply wonderful. And she's done it again with a book called Soup. It has three authors. May um, Chin is one, Laugh, Laffin the other, and Blanca Valencia is the third. And they're all aficionados in their fields when it comes to food and cooking but soup is the focus of the book. Uh, Blanca Valencia is with me on the line. Hello, Blanca.
7: Hi, how are you, Jerry?
1: I'm really good. Lovely to talk to you this afternoon on the show. I, I'm very interested in, in, in you because in the foreword to the book, you, you explain, you know, you and soup, and I love this. Castilian garlic soup from your dad and the Lucian gazpacho, the cold soup from your mum. Were you torn between...
7: Yeah, I, I think my whole life has been torn between those two soups. Um, And I guess we realized in our podcast how we had so many uh, opinions about soups and and how different our soup upbringing was. So uh, mine was definitely between two very different different areas of Spain and very different soups. So
1: you you prefer dads. (laughs) Is that fair to say or will you be insulting your mother?
7: No, I prefer the Castilian garlic soup. It's just like a more nourishing, um, colder weather soup. But I love gazpacho. But gazpacho, I always say gazpacho is so glamorous. And, you know, you have this fancy olive oil. So it's more like my mom and my dad is more serious and boring. So (laughs) garlic soup is more a little bit more uh, (laughs) for shy people.
1: (laughs) Do you you stink after it when you consume the garlic?
7: No, but some people, if they're feeling unwell, they would put more garlic.
1: Yes, yes. It's very good to help with the old cold. And and I must mention as well that yes. yourself, Dee, and me uh, are are behind the award-winning uh, podcast, Spice Bags. It is terrific, folks. Do check it out. So, look, when you were approached by uh, Kristen to put this book together, what did you think? What were your thoughts?
7: Actually, we approached her. Oh, Oh, there you go. Presumption again. Go on, tell me. Yeah, we we just thought uh, from doing an episode about soup and how we could have done twenty episodes about soup, and then also talking to different people in the community in different like international parts of Ireland, we realized that soup was something so varied, and everybody had so many different soups. So we pitched to Kristen, and she loved the idea. She loved the idea of showcasing different people from different communities from all walks of life it, it, it wasn't just professional chefs mm. who would tell us about that soup and and what it meant to them
1: oh the homemade soup i think every family must have one
7: definitely yeah,
1: yeah no there's no doubt about that stay there because d Laffin is joining us now hi Dee.
8: Hi, how are
1: you, Jerry? I'm very good. Dee is a freelance journalist, editor with over 15 years' experience in the areas of food, drink and travel. And of course, she is part of Spice Bags podcast. I'm going to put the same first question to you that I did to Blanca. Nor soup in the press. Come on, Dee.
8: (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, I mean, I grew up in Tipperary, and, you know, this is very much part of our lives. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of Irish people can identify with... Um, Nora packet soup uh, as their kind of their upbringing or introduction to soup, um, and it was very much soup was very much part of our lives and our family life growing up. And every Saturday, we would have soup. Um, but yeah, my dad was an expert in blending packets of soup of Nora packet soup, and we had a special place in the um, in the kitchen. Sorry, a special place in the kitchen where we kept them and. Uh, it was uh all I can remember about it, yeah, until very much later in life when um we I started making my own soups and obviously um uh exploring the world of soup as I traveled and tasted more food and became a food journalist and kind of really appreciated all the different kinds of soups that there are,
1: yeah, you left a bit out in the middle conveniently. did you knock a pile of Campbell's soup tins there, no. <laughs>
8: Exactly. <laughs> Just uh, trying to smuggle them in. But um, Campbell's soup wasn't them. Um, I remember May, um, our other co-author of the book, she mentioned that Campbell soup yes. was a big thing for her growing up. But for us, uh, Campbell soup was for special occasions like Christmas. Mm. And when you would make, you would use a cup, um, a tin of it with uh, mushrooms or something yes. to, uh, to make a casserole. I don't know if anyone else can remember that, but I definitely did
1: that oh, in our yeah. house. Oh, yeah. Listen, the mothers of Ireland uh, turfed in uh, the Campbells of the Nor <laughs> River to add body to their soups. That's a sure thing. And we want to say, Mae Chin, she's not with us today. She's a New Yorker. And, you know, Campbell soup, yes, she remembers it so well. Just before I go back to Blanca, um, Dee, uh, soup, you know, the stock is everything. And I think you say this, the chicken carcass, where would we be yeah. without an old chicken carcass? Oh, I mean, I
8: have definitely. to say... Nowadays, I, 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 where would you, exactly where would you be? It's so, mo, so important to my food, like at the moment. I mean, I, I just love a roast chicken. We had one yesterday, in fact, in our house. Mm. And once we're finished with uh, that chicken or when we've used most of it, I always, like I always boil the carcass and make stock out of it during the week. Um, And you just get so much more out of it. And then you also get, you can use it for so many different things. I mean, you can freeze your stock in ice cube holder or in whatever way you like in the freezer and then just whip it out when you need it. And there's nothing like a homemade stock, I think.
1: No, and I'm following you this week, myself. We had the roast chicken yesterday and I would never let it go to waste, no matter what time of the year. (laughs) But Blanca, back to you. Time is of the essence. Soup is something that you don't rush blanket.
7: Well, I rush it because I love cooking with pressure cookers. Ah, oh, you
1: see a little cheat.
7: Yeah, so uh yeah, I think. If You know, soups take time mm. to, to have a beautiful soup with a lovely stock. But if you get yourself a pressure cooker or an instant pot or a slow cooker, you know, you can find works, uh, yes. workarounds for the soups. But definitely I am very... Um, bias towards pressure cooking mm. I think it makes it so much easier especially electric ones
1: yeah I'll look at I say cheat in the best possible sense because it's wonderful with people <laughs> busy at work and with children and everything anything you can do to speed it up is, is really great what about garnishes and sides blanket they really can make a soup into a meal can't they
7: Yeah. And one example of a soup that is all about garnishes in our book is Sopa de Tortilla from uh, Mexican food truck El Milagro. Uh, It's just basically a broth of anchovy, chili and tomato. It's smoky and raisiny. It's delicious. And then you just put all sorts of garnishes and you can put chicken, you can put avocado, you can put tortilla chips. And there's so many soups, I think, that are similar to that for example my dad's castilian garlic soup you can really make it much more glamorous by adding chorizo and ham and adding uh i've added dried onion to it and eggs like a poached egg so yeah i think soups that might seem a little bit not very exciting with garnishes you can make them into a full meal basically
1: yes and I have to ask you about this and put you on the spot. I suppose you were expecting this, Dee. Uh, If you were to pick one recipe, and they're all wonderful and they're from around the world, one recipe from the book that you'd suggest to listeners. Oh, you got to try this one. Uh,
8: Well, I'm going to pick one that I actually just made recently, um, which is the Trinidadian corn soup.
1: Oh, and I have it open on the page. Would you believe?
8: <laughs> brilliant, It's Um so, basically, um, this is from a man I met in uh, Waterford, a, a food producer called JD, and he's half. You know, his family's heritage is half Nigerian, half Trinidadian. His mum's from Nigeria, dad's Trinidadian, and he grew up with um, a very mixed palate and culture of foods. And now he makes his own foods through his com- company down, a street food company down in Waterford called Sock Afro Kitchen. Mm. And um, I met him and he's just so full of life and flavor himself. And as, uh, as we got chatting. And then when we went to do the, the book, I was like, oh, I have to include the soup. And when he told me it was a corn soup, I, you know, I think corn soup isn't something we're very familiar here in Ireland. But lots of countries have corn soups and it's very much throughout the Caribbean, there be corn soups. Mm. And it's a very simple one to make. You just, um, it's a blended soup. And in Ireland, we love blended soup. So I think people will, will be familiar with that texture and really like it. And it's not, you can add um, chili at the end. You don't have to add it through it. So it's not very spicy or anything if people don't like spice yeah, um, or heat. But it's just a beautiful, beautiful soup. And it's really, really rich in flavor. There is a chicken stock in there. Um, and it's, as I said, just very simple, and also very budget friendly. You can make a lot of this soup mm. um, from very, very uh, yes. spending a lot of money. You know, yeah. so, but it's it's really, really delicious. I would love people to try it and let us. Thank
1: you them. for recommending that. Same to yourself, uh, Blanca. Your pick from the book.
7: I would say if I had to. One recipe I would cook Brazilian moqueca, which is a, a fish stew. It has tomato and peppers and coconut, and it's so easy to make. Uh, you just layer the peppers and the tomato and the cod, and you put um, this gorgeous tom- It's like a tomato broth with a palm oil, like unrefined palm oil. So it's completely different to refined products. And it's just so easy and so delicious. And because there's so many Brazilians in Ireland, we wanted to really showcase a recipe that represented that community. Mm.
1: Well, you have indeed. And there are so many recipes, as I say, in the book. It's simply gorgeous. I love the cover as well. Yeah, soup in yellow, green background and the big red pot with all the goodies going into it. Uh, As I say again, uh, Kristen Jensen, she's brilliant and this concept is simply wonderful. They're simple, there's nothing complicated and this book is available right across the country today in bookshops. And it is soup season. Is there a season? Just last word, Blanca. Is there a soup season?
7: Yeah, I think winter. Yeah, <laughs> good on you. I just wanted Guess that. Because is for summer.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's yours as well. Thank you both for joining me on the show. Congratulations on the book and the podcast Spice Bags. Thank you indeed. Bye. Thank you. Take care. Bye. That's D. Laughing there and Blanca Valencia, co authors with Mei Chin of a lovely book called Soup. It's hard to pronounce some place names, isn't it? It's even hard to pronounce what I call it. Misplaced Nunciation on Monday's Late Lunch. Uh, we've been uh, doing it recently, and we have another one for you today, and I spelt it for you. I'm going to spell it again U G H T Y. N-E-I-L-L. That's U-G-H-T-Y-N-E-I-L-L in County Meath. And the principal of the national school there joins me on the line. Hello, Granny Flanagan.
4: Hello, Jerry. How are you? It's lovely to talk to you this afternoon.
1: And me to you. Now, before you give us the definitive, let's have a listen to some people giving U-G-H-T-Y-N-E-I-L-L a go. Up to
0: Neil.
5: <laughs> Up to Nelly. Up.
1: Oh, now, 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 there's a diverse selection in those voices there. I don't think any of them really pinned it down, did they?
4: Not, not quite. Not quite, but I, I have to confess, as as not being a local lady myself now, I, I would question... My own pronunciation sometimes but I think at this stage if if I was saying it wrong somebody would have corrected me by now.
1: Okay, well before you do that let's hear from Louise who is a meath woman and she'll pronounce it and a loud man here the other side. We're not talking today you know after the football yesterday she's blanked me altogether. Anyway, (laughs) she'll come to she'll come to tomorrow. (laughs) I (laughs) thought. That'll be a thought. Uh, Well well, I say it Louise if I was saying it and listen carefully Grania I would say Otty Nail. Otty Nail. Louise? Well I'd don't know whether I'm right or not, but I'd say Uzi Neil. Uzi Neil, Grania, be the judge, please.
4: Oh, I would combine both of the, both of those, and I would say Uzi Neil. Uzi
1: Neil. So, <laughs> so it's you not got the first part right not, I got the second. It's not Uzi <laughs> from Miss Swoos- Susie, no, it's not Uzi. It's <laughs> no Uti Neil. Correct. Ah, oh, Louise, yeah. you see that? We're a great combination. Yeah. We got it between yeah. the two of us. No, we got no, it between no, the no, two. No. two. <laughs> yeah, we got it. The first part and back part of it. Louise, just, uh, I will uh, mention the granny. Where is it, Louise? Have You pinned it down. Well, we know there's a national school in it. Where is yeah. it near for it's listeners? It's
4: outside Minolte,
1: isn't it? Minolte? Yes, close by? Yeah, yeah
4: it's, it's on the Kings Court Road. Yeah.
1: Oh, okay, you said that word very well there. That could be another one one week as well. You know, I'm just thinking there. There's another word and a place as well. Do, like you said you are uh, someone who's come to work there you're from outside did you find it hard to you know get it right
4: absolutely yeah mm. um, and, I, and I I laughed as you spelled it along I've learned to spell it as quickly as say it because every time you're asked for the address of the school for anything that's being ordered it's very quickly followed by can you spell that one for me please <laughs> so you you, you learn Say then spell.
1: Yes, excellent. How many children have you there in the school?
4: Yeah, we we have thirty five wonderful pupils this year, and um, we're always there or thereabouts. There's always there's always room for more. Yes, yeah. um, we're very happy. We have a fantastic hardworking staff over there. There's two mainstream class teachers, a shared support teacher. Uh, a full-time SNA and a part-time secretary, and we have just got the most wonderful bunch of children over there, and I have to give them a shout out today, especially the, uh, the fifth and sixth class boys and girls were up in Navan this morning taking part in a FAI soccer blitz, and they did really, really well. We're delighted with them, and great to see the school name back out competing in things and like getting involved in things again now since COVID, so it's it's an absolutely lovely, lovely place, a lovely part of the county, and um, I'd recommend everybody come and visit us. Oh,
1: what a saleswoman are you. I, if I was in Falch, Ireland, I'd be uh, looking for your number, to be honest with you. But I want to say hello to them as well, and well done in the soccer. And perhaps one day we look at a famous soccer player, and their alma mater will be Otty Neil well, now. National School. Wouldn't that be nice?
4: Wouldn't that be lovely? Yes. We have certainly plenty of budding little soccer players there. So Great. I'm sure they'd love to think that that's where their, their destiny is Yes,
1: us. boys and girls, of course, as well. Look at the Irish women team heading to the World Cup, which is Please. simply, simply wonderful. Besides the school, is there a shop or a pub or anything else in Utty Neal?
4: As- at the moment, there isn't. I do believe there was back in the day. Uh, currently, it really is uh, the school that's that's left. Uh, in it's, it's a crossroads essentially. Mm. There is St Patrick's Hall there that um, is still quite active, and they would have um, Kaylee dancing and and kind of Gaelic Choral classes and things like that. Yeah. But really, it's it's just the school that's that's there at the moment. Mm. Yeah,
1: the famous man who did the dancing at the crossroads. Ah, oh, he passed away. Tom Marry Tom Marry Correct Yeah Tom was a great man He really was
4: And that that dance Still continues Every July The dancing at the crossroads Still takes place
1: Isn't that wonderful In his memory He was a gorgeous man Honestly I I remember Talking to him on the show here And he's just so warm He really was And he loved He loved that aspect Of of the community there So there you go One more time I'm going to give it a little go Put my choppers in Hold on i get the teeth right Utty nail Otty Neil. Otty Neil. I Neil. See, see, I went back to me nail. So it's Otty <laughs> and Neil as you kneel down. Otty Neil. In, Otty Neil. Yeah. I bloody well got it wrong again. I'm going to bait myself up for that. And the other ones didn't laugh at me there. We thought we sorted it between us, but I made a mess of it again. But there you are. It's great to have you with us today. Wish you well with all you do with those lovely children at Otty Neil School. And thank you for joining me on Late Lunch today.
4: You're very welcome. Thanks very much, Terry. Take you.
1: care. Bye bye. Bye bye. And hello again to all the students in the school. I know they're listening in at the moment. That's D. Laughing there. Uh, sorry, it's not. It's Gronya Flanagan, the principal of Oti Neil Neil National School. Did I say it right? Oti Neil. Oti Neil. Neil. Thanks,
0: Louise.
1: <laughs> Oti I must get that one. I'm not going to get that one. I'm just going to get a word with. I like
0: Uti. You were Ooty-Neil. thinking of
1: Uti Mabuse. Where you from? No. Dancing. No. 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 You weren't <laughs> thinking of her. No. That's Oti Mabuse. <laughs> <laughs> and can we just say Jot, that when you were saying about Tom Murray, he was on with you, must be about 10 years ago, Jerry. And mm. I, what he said always sticks into my head. He just said, because you asked him, I think he lived in RD, but he was, he like was born in uh Neil. And he said to you, he said, you can live in many places, but you can
9: only ever be from one place.
1: That is is the truest words I ever was lovely. spoken. Lovely by Tom Marry and it holds true for all of us all of the time right through our lives. Brilliant, brilliant. Anyway, we'll bring you another queer word <laughs> next Monday on the show of A Place in the northeast, and see how you get on. We're heading towards top of the hour. Stay with us because that breaking news. The EU and UK have reached a protocol deal. We'll have it now at three. Coming up after three, top five countdown from this week. Well, you'll have to stay with us to find out. And Deirdre Dolan, a stoma nurse, is joining me. I've been
3: holding on to pieces, swimming in the deep end, trying to find my way.
1: Hello to Betty in Johnstown this afternoon. She was on to ask about the ash tree situation in the country where they're covered in ivy. Uh, And really, is there anything to be done about it? Um, Some people take it away, Betty, to be honest. Others leave it. They say it's a habitat for creatures. But there you go. It does look like it's choking and I have to concede that to you. Time to do this now on Late Lunch.
3: Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this
1: week of yesteryear. And today it's... 1999, this very week. And my number five in the charts from that era is considered... One of our classic songs Even though it mightn't have done that well in the charts Compared to the others When I tell you that uh, her album Our second studio album was called Believe And the single that emanated from that This was the second single taken from that album It's reminiscent actually of 1970s disco music And uh, on the Billboard Hot 100 in the States It only peaked at number 57 It did top the Hot Dance Club play chart in the USA But in the UK, which is our chart each week It came in at number 5 Stayed at number five and went down from there. Yes, it's
2: Cher.
6: I'm to live you. And now I'm to know.
1: Yes, Cher, number five in my top five countdown from this week in 1999 on your late lunch this Monday afternoon. Hi Nora, the townland of Utty Neal is on the Kingscourt Road out of Minalti, says Nora. Good to hear it. Uh, Nothing like a pot of homemade vegetable soup, says Anne. I couldn't agree with you more. And somebody there pronouncing uh, Utty Neil for us, or Utty Neal as it is. Utty Neal is the right pronunciation. My next guest, the beautiful Midlands she's in. She's a stoneman nurse, Deirdre Dolan. Hello.
9: Hello there, how are you?
1: I'm good. Let's talk about stomas. Now, a stoma is an opening, isn't it? Anywhere in the body it can be.
9: Uh, well, a stoma is a surgically formed opening. Yes. It's on a person's abdomen. Yeah. And it, it directs output away from your digestive or urinary system into a specifically designed stoma bag. Um, and they can be permanent or can be reversed, depending on the reason to have it.
1: Is it the same as a colostomy?
9: It is. A colostomy is a type of stoma. I suppose the type of stomas I'd be dealing with is a colostomy, ileostomy and a urostomy. Okay. Yeah, different parts of the, the systems may be
1: on. Ah, uh, yes, and, and dealing with. And as you said there, some are reversible, some not. I take it, you know, with your years of experience, um, when somebody is told that they're going to have to wear, let's call it a colostomy for the sake of this conversation, it, it's a bit of a shock and... Difficult to take on board. Is that fair to say?
9: Absolutely. Yeah. It, there's a big. There. There is a lifestyle change, and it will take time to get used to it. So I suppose having your support coming out of the hospital, regards your stoma nurse, uh, is very important. And um, prior to surgery, it is important. Obviously, if it's not an emergency, that you are kind of spoken to preoperatively about that and the change that's ahead of you, and they will mark your site and your abdomen. And then you'll undergo the surgery and then the care follows you to home where we would see you out here. So there is a massive lifestyle change and it does take a bit of time. But some people say their quality of life improves since having a stoma. You know, it depends on the reason, obviously, why they have the stoma. um, And if it does relieve uncomfortable symptoms, that is an improvement, you know.
1: There are, um, there are two types, you know. Uh, there's the closed and the drainable. The closed, you're changing a number of times a day. The drainable, you can leave it there for a couple of days.
9: You can, indeed. Like the like what you says there, Jerry, a colostomy, that's kind of at the lower end of your digestive um, system. So your output will be quite formed, so very difficult to drain. Hence the reason you'd use a closed bag and have the option of changing it a few times a day. And then the drainable, will be used early on generally in your digestive system where the output isn't quite formed, it's quite watery and you can drain that very easily from the pouch and that's the reason that will be in place. Mm.
1: The issue of wearing it and, and when you have it fitted and away you go, I suppose you're concerned about leakage, maybe node or things like that.
9: Yeah. You- There's the, 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 the common, common problems such as leakage, skin irritation, ballooning, hernia hernias, pancaking is a thing, prolapse and retraction. So I suppose these are issues that you never really have to deal with on your own. When you have a stoma, leakage is not normal or sore skin is not normal. So I always say reach out to your stoma nurse, whether it be in the hospital or community or even link in with your pharmacy or GP so they can get the support that are needed to help you with this issue.
1: And it's important to say that odours and the gas emitting from it today, it's a different uh, Scenario altogether, isn't it? All that it can be dealt with easily.
9: Absolutely, like we're, we're 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 getting on really well with the the filters on the pouches now. We have a very up to date filter. There's carbon in there, and you really won't. Have an odor. The only reason you have an odor is if there's a leak happening. So if that's the case and that's ongoing, if there is an odor, that pouch really isn't working for you, and you need to have like an experienced eye, like a storm nurse, to have a little look and see. They might have to do something really simple to help that situation. But reaching out and getting that help, that's where that'll um, help. You know.
1: What about diet? Uh, is high fiber foods or are high fiber foods out of the question then?
9: Initially after surgery, especially with an ileostomy, you'd be on like a low-fibre diet really for four weeks. Um, And then after that four weeks comes to pass, you just gently introduce one to two items of fibrous food a week just to see how they settle in with your system now. Because sometimes food you may have eaten before you've had a stoma just might not suit you as much is when you you have your stoma. So just keep in an eye what suits you. But it does take about four weeks afterwards to kind of introduce your fibre again.
1: If I'm taking medicine regularly, how is that affected? Does it make any difference or is it just the same as prior to having the stoma?
9: Do you know, like sometimes I would come across people and they're saying, you know, especially in the stoma early on in digestion, the tablets would have just come out as is. So you really would have to communicate with your GP regarding kind of the tablets that you're on if you feel you're not they're not being digested um, yes you would have to keep an eye on that
1: Exercise you know people love to exercise and they're stopped in their tracks for a wee while about this but they want to get out and get going again is is that an issue or need it not be
9: at all? No, you know like the road to recovery and getting back to a normal life after having a stormy is immensely important so the likes of exercise vitally important you know and um, we introduce kind of a set of exercises after your surgery just to kind of strengthen up that muscle around your stoma, you know the core four but then there's support garments you can wear while you're doing sport there's smaller pouches you can wear while you're doing sports such as swimming or the likes um, and just like it's important getting back to life getting back to work traveling driving your intimacy it all has to be dealt with really and that's on the road to recovery
1: all issues and will be uh, taken care of by the likes of yourself, we have to say. Just on that one, work, you know, it's a big step to go back to work. And uh, uh, it wouldn't be surprising to feel it onerous, you know, in terms of energy and that when you go back first.
9: Absolutely, absolutely. But with any surgery, you know, building up your strength afterwards. And when you're dealing with the likes of surgery in your abdomen, where it affects your core muscle that supports your back, your sides and everything... There is a big recovery. It does take your core muscle 12 weeks to recover after that surgery. So you will not have really good strength in that muscle for 12 weeks. So the likes of support garments, you are at risk of herniation. So we do generally say there's no real heavy lifting for those 12 weeks. And the use of support garments and then time is important. So when I see somebody and they're going back to work, I'd ensure like Maybe they're going back on light duties initially, which is great. But the likes of support garments is very important uh, with this um, back to work life for them, you know. Um, And knowing that they're supported in work regarding toilet facilities as well for changing up their stoma pouches.
1: Very important too. So with all that we've talked about in mind... Coloplast Ireland are putting on a clinic in Dundalk on Thursday, March the ninth, in the Crown Plaza Hotel from ten AM till three PM. How does people how do people book a place?
9: Well, what they do, they ring us on zero one nine one nine zero one nine zero to book your slot because it is recommended that you have your stoma assessed yearly. Due to body mass changes, size changes and just overall good stoma health. So just to avail of that really now, that's where we're coming to that area for the stoma clinics um, and to reach out to us on that number to book your slot.
1: That's 019190190, that's 019190190, happening in the Crown Plaza in Dundalk, early March, the 9th of March, a Thursday from 10am to 3pm. You've been so helpful and insightful, thanks a million.
9: Thanks very much, Jerry.
1: Thank you. Take care of yourself. Bye. That's uh, Deirdre Dolan there. So many people get on fine and live their lives to the full. But it it is a huge challenge early on and that certainly is understandable. That's a lot on Late Lunch for this Monday afternoon. Hope you have a lovely evening. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive here on LMFM Radio. Stay with him for wonderful music and more besides. We'll be back on Tuesday with your Late Lunch and looking forward to it, I have to say. But we leave you today in the company of the brilliant Ed Sheeran. And Celestia, look up at the skies, the Northern Lights. Will it be there tonight? Let's see. You see, tonight it could go either way.
3: Hearts balanced on a razor blade. Hi, this is Craig Robinson
5: from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ